If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 182 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on the 21st day of May in the year 2023. Whew. Wow. We are back, guys, and where do we even begin? (laughs) My God. I guess by saying that I hope you're all doing well. I hope all the moms out there had a happy Mother's Day last Sunday. I know mine did. Had a lovely day with her and my family. Also celebrated her birthday again on Friday. Happy birthday again to the most amazing mother in the world. I love you, mom. I know you're listening right now. But I hope yours was good as well as far as Mother's Day. And because we didn't talk last Sunday because of Mother's Day, to say a lot has happened in Yankeeland, or that we have a lot to talk about, is quite the understatement of the year. And no, it's not going to be another two-plus-hour episode like two weeks ago, hopefully, but we, <laughs> we have much to discuss on this lovely Sunday afternoon. I even have my window open. It's beautiful here in New York today, but on this lovely Sunday afternoon following this morning's yes morning's Yankee game against the Reds to cap off the sweep in Cincinnati that just took place. And much of the chaos, a lot of the craziness happening, happened in the last week or so. So much. Oh my god. Lots of positives, believe it or not. (laughs) But Especially considering what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, about how the Yankees were continuously losing games that they didn't have to. Games in which they were just beating themselves. Hell, I think the title of the last episode was just beating yourselves, because that's what the Yankees were doing. Whether it be the offense being absolutely anemic, especially without Judge at the time, who of course has since long returned and absolutely lit the league on freaking fire again, or the starting pitchers messing up, not giving up enough length, regardless of the reason, the bullpen imploding, which on the whole throughout the season, and I did mention this two weeks ago too, has actually been a strength of the team, but whether it be them imploding too, or in-game managerial decisions, refusing to deviate from the set plan, regardless of the scenario. And now, here we are two weeks later, On May 21st, Yanks just swept the Reds, which, yes, is something they should have done, but they did anyway. Got to give them credit. You got to beat the bad ones, too. We always say that. But the Yanks just swept them after a stretch of 17 straight games. 17! In case you're not very good with math, with how many days are in a week and whatnot, that's almost three straight weeks of games without a single day off. No rainouts, no nothing in between. Exhausted bullpen, the whole nine yards. They finally have a freaking day to breathe with an off day tomorrow. Finally. Yet, they now 
have the best record in baseball this month in May, starting from May 2nd after that horrible game on the 1st that they also should have won when Boone took Herman out and Clay absolutely melted down in the ninth inning after he was taken out. And Clay's been much better of late too, by the way, despite having some ninth inning drama today too. Clean inning though. But anyways, best record in baseball since then. 14-5 and five since May 2nd. 14-5. and five. Bader, Judge, back from injury. Sevy back from injury today. So with all these things considered, are they back? Are the Yankees back? And there's plenty of reason to believe that they are. Correct buttons have just been being pushed lately, and that's part of the season too. Sometimes you make a move, it just goes horribly wrong, and sometimes you make a move, it turns out to be the right one. But the correct buttons certainly feel that they've been getting pushed lately. The offense is completely rejuvenated, especially since Bader and Judge's returns. They continue to get even more guys back with more in the way. Not too far away from now, hopefully, like Severino. Bullpen's still doing their thing. Sevy being back helps the rotation. Bunch of roster moves to discuss, especially the one from yesterday. That's still on everyone's minds, and I still haven't even properly processed it yet, to be honest. The one that none of us ever thought would actually come to fruition. One that we all knew had to happen and is way overdue, but one that none of us actually ever thought would happen. And if it were to happen, not anytime soon, but it actually did happen. And we're going to talk about that and everything else. We got plenty of time for today's show to do so. I mean, but who the hell could keep up? (laughs) The last two weeks have been wild, especially this past week. Really, it started to pick up this past week, the absolute chaos. So, why not run down the whole freaking list? Let's see. Let's go back to the time, the last time we spoke two Sundays ago. Um, before I also forget, I did want to mention, I also did end up going to that game when we spoke about two weeks ago. When I was like, I might go to the Saturday game against the Rays. I did go to that game last weekend on Saturday the 13th. And what a game it was. Down 6 nothing. And they freaking came back. The chaos of that game, it's really an embodiment of what has happened with this team in the month of May. With how they've continued to come back and in such gutsy fashion as well. The fight that they've had in games, even ones that they've lost. It's been a lot of fun. And in that game in particular, I I have to say, I have seldom, and I've been to a lot of Yankee games, guys. In my 15 years plus as a fan, I have seldom experienced such a rapid change in such polar opposite emotions within that little amount of time. <laughs> what an experience. From wanting to off myself being down 6 nothing, to going absolutely ballistic after Judge's go-ahead home run, which I caught on video, by the way, in live time, because I just had an itch that he was going to hit it. I just did. I mean, you know the feeling when you get when... There's a moment in a game that's coming around and you just feel like something epic's about to happen, so I, only usually my fellow longtime baseball fans experience this. It's like a disturbance in the force for my fellow Star Wars nerds out there. But I had a severe case of that right before Judge hit his home run, and whenever that happens with us, what do we do? We get our phones out and we start recording. That's exactly what I did here. Next thing you know, And the Yanks lead after an epic comeback from a 6-0 deficit against Tampa. Tampa, no less. It was a lot of fun. Epic stuff. I would literally let you hear the clip 
on here, on the podcast. But we try to keep yapping Yankees clean. I, I even try to do the same thing on my social medias, as you know, with a very, very rare exception, once in a blue moon. I think I've actually let a curse on my Twitter account fly, I don't know, once, twice, maybe the most. And I've been on Twitter over six years now. So <laughs> it, it never happens, basically. And I've never let a curse fly here on Yapping Yankees, but I did curse a lot in that video. So if you ever happen to see me at a Yankee game and you want to hear that crazy clip, I, I did post it on social media, actually. So just go back to the 13th and try to find the clip. It got a lot of attention on Twitter, so <laughs> I'm sure you could find it. But I will not put it here on the podcast just for the sake of the cursing. And there was a great amount of it. There was a great deal of it. So I think it would sound weird if I just decided to edit it all out. There'd be a lot of gaps in audio. So, <laughs> But epic crap, bro, that day. Epic. Just one bit of all the chaos that's taken place of late. My God. It really has been awesome watching the Yankees lately. It really has. But that was just... A monicum of all of the chaos that's taken place, especially as of this past week. Like I said, who could keep up? You know all the stuff as as I'm talking right now and you're listening to me yap on and on and on and on and on. But we're going to get to all of it, ultimately. But there was just so much that happened, especially as of this past week. So why don't we get right down to it? We'll go back to when we spoke two Sundays ago, all the crap that's taken place. First off, if you go back to the beginning of two weeks ago, like we were anticipating to happen on that Tuesday, the captain, Aaron Judge, had been officially activated off the IL, so he came back, and we know all the greatness that we have seen since then that has helped to even further rejuvenate the offense after the rejuvenation that Bader provided himself when he first came back. And following that move, they did move Peraza to the injured list with his ankle sprain, Explains why they hadn't played him for a while there, I guess. And I did speculate that he wouldn't have necessarily maybe have gone down to AAA, but, I mean, he could still have that ankle problem. They might move him to the injured list, and they did. So, after all that as well, Weissert was in fact the one that was recalled for Nick Ramirez being optioned that night, so he came back briefly. So Weissert continuously coming and going. Again, because of how the bullpen's being burned through lately, because... They just haven't had any time off, and they've had to, at times, overuse people when they would have rather have not had to. So they've been making a lot of bullpen moves to get some fresh arms back and forth. And they've had to make quite a bit of roster moves as a result like these. And I do feel like Weiser could really use some of that time in the minors because, I don't know, he's been really, whenever he comes into a game earlier part of this year now, he is, uh, he's been very uneasy to watch. His stuff is really all over the place. He doesn't have the control that he quite displayed at times last year. So until he gets some of that back, I believe he could use some work in the minors. But of course, he's always there to be called upon whenever they need a fresh arm in the pen. But I certainly do not think that some extra time in the minors would hurt him. I think it would actually benefit him. Because uh been a little wild with the command to start this year. But anyways, that's really what happened as of two weeks ago. Now... This past week is when all the crap started. Now, in the beginning of the week, we know all the nonsense that took place with Aaron Judge in Toronto. With the Toronto Blue Jays continually just getting more and more of a rap of being just that crybaby organization. I don't really know what other way to put it. (laughs) That's really what they've really turned out to be. 
even more so in this Orioles series. I saw Manoa getting into it with Adam Frazier the other day. I mean, come on. It's really getting embarrassing how they're acting now. And it's clear that they're just, they're acting out because they're frustrated because they're doing such a crap job. They've been losing a lot lately. Just barking and barking and barking. And they've had a miserable last week at home against the Yankees and the Orioles combined. I think the Orioles just swept them as of today. So a week to forget for the Blue Jays. And the one game they did win was in game three of the four games set against the Yankees when it took them 10 innings to do so in extras because the Yankee offense was a collection of corpses again that particular day. That was the only game they've won this past week, so having a rough go at it, and they're letting their emotions clearly get the better of them and getting in the way of their common sense and logic as well, especially given the Aaron Judge situation. Now, they have a leg to stand on with the whole Domingo Herman mess, which we'll get to in a second, but... All the stuff with Judge, man, it was just so blown out of proportion. It was a nothing burger, or at least it should have been. Got a lot more attention than it should have because it was just a bunch of crap. Uh, To put it bluntly, I don't really know what other way to put it. And I've even spoken to a variety of Blue Jays fans who feel the exact same way because objectively, it was a bunch of crap. We all know what happened. I don't really have to go into it in detail. But really what happened with Aaron Judge was that in an at-bat on Monday night, He was at the plate, and he was facing Blue Jays reliever Jay Jackson. Now, the Yankees earlier in the game had put like six runs up on the board, and the Blue Jays would end up making it a little bit closer in the bottom of the eighth when the Yankees made it 7-0. They came to within 7-4. That would be the final in the game, of course, but Judge was facing Jay Jackson. And basically in that at-bat... I mean, I guess the Blue Jays thought this would be a good idea, but they thought it okay to throw Aaron Judge multiple sliders in a row. And by multiple sliders, I think there was at least six or seven of them in a row. They were not changing the pitch selection whatsoever. And now Judge had already hit a home run earlier in the night in the top of the first to start scoring for the Yankees off of Alec Manoa who has also been having a freaking horrible season, completely opposite to the season that he had last year. So, that's also why I would say Manoa's been even more mouthy than he already was prior. But he is having a rough go at it. And his command was, again, all over the place in this game against the Yankees. He had a horrible game. It was four innings, six hits, five runs, seven walks, and three strikeouts, giving up two home runs. Again, one of those two homers to judge. So he had a brutal outing as his difficulty just continues and continued even more so against the Orioles this weekend, obviously. So Judge was facing Jay Jackson. And the Blue Jays commentators noticed that Judge's eyes were darting to the right when usually, obviously, the batter takes a look out to the pitcher. He was, his eyes were darting to the right. And the Blue Jays commentators thought it to be strange. They mentioned it on the broadcast. I don't fault them for doing that. A lot of people went after the Blue Jays commentators. And yeah, one of them might have sounded like they were insinuating a bit that Judge could have been cheating or at least looking for signs somewhere in any way he possibly could. Which, as long as it's not being done electronically like the Astros did, for instance, or the Red Sox did, for instance, or even how the Yankees were doing with that whole Apple Watch scheme like seven or eight years ago or whatever that crap was that they got fined for. But... If someone's tipping pitches and the other side took notice to that and is relaying some sort of signs just with body language or what have you, that's perfectly legal. 
I just want to reinforce that to people who seem to have forgotten that amidst all of the sign-stealing drama that happened with the Astros and whatnot. That's legal. If it's being done on the field and people are relaying it with signs or whatnot with their bodies or, or just tipping them off with their hands or whatever. If the pitcher's tipping their pitches, that's part of the game. That's been going on for well over 100 years. And people think that, oh, maybe Judge would have been looking down at the first base coach for that. Or maybe he was trying to look behind him because his eyes are really to the right. Maybe he could have been looking to see where the catcher was positioning behind him. I mean, who knows? It, it could have been really anything. Obviously, behind him was Alejandro Kirk. Maybe he was looking to see where he was positioned. I know a lot of players who do that routinely, outside of the major leagues even. It's part of the game. And it's not illegal. But, honestly... When you're talking about in this particular instance, when it comes to Aaron Judge, and it led to him having cheater chants thrown his way the following night and whatnot, which is absolutely ridiculous. But, I mean, even that same night, Jay Jackson and the rest of the Blue Jays blew it way out of proportion, insinuating that Judge and the Yankees were doing some sort of high-level scheme cheating, which, I mean, if they were trying to steal signs electronically... That's not even really possible anymore for teams, especially who use Pitchcom, because I think people forgot that when they were accusing the Yankees of stealing signs in the same way that the Astros did, for instance, in some sort of electronic way, that's kind of impossible because the catcher's not putting down signs physically anymore to symbolize which pitch is being thrown, like back then when all that crap was happening. Now the Pitchcom system is majorly being used by most or all, where the catcher relays which pitch to throw electronically to the pitcher with a device that he has on his leg. So signs aren't being put down anymore. So the Yankees can't electronically steal signs in that manner, relying on signs that the catchers put down. That is not a thing anymore. So the idea then became, for people who were thinking about this logically as opposed to a lot of Blue Jays fans, was the pitcher tipping his pitches. Which some people also don't know what that means. That means there's some sort of different body movement or language or any sort of thing the pitcher might be doing for specific pitches. Like his delivery is a little bit different for for his slider rather than his fastball, for instance. That's what tipping a pitch means. And that tips a hitter off as to what pitch might be coming. Hence the term tipping his pitches. And ironically, after they made this whole big thing on Monday night, this whole nonsense, because let's be honest, guys, do you really think the reigning American League MVP and American League single season home run hitter who just came off of a season where he hit 62 freaking home runs, do you guys really think that this guy has any need to participate in any sort of high level electronic sign stealing scheme? Can we think about this with our heads for a second? and not our emotions, logic has to prevail at some point. Even if you're on the opposing side, and you're a bitter Blue Jays fan who just wants to rag on the Yankees and try to expose them for cheating in any way you can, congratulations, you got some content with Domingo Herman the next day, I guess. But especially in this sense with Aaron Judge, you really think that's the truth? And then like I was just about to say before, the very next night, 
after Aaron Judge was having cheater chants thrown his way, ridiculous chants thrown his way, you know, who cares? Let the fans do what they want. But nonetheless, still ridiculous. He was having them chanted his way, and at the end of the game, in the next game on Tuesday, he hits a big go-ahead two-run shot, which would ultimately grant the Yankees the win. <laughs> because that's just the way it goes when you're talking about someone who doesn't need to cheat. And for that home run, and for all home runs to follow throughout the rest of the week this past week, he, of course, had his eyes dead set on the pitcher just to prove to everybody, I don't need to cheat. Because he doesn't. It's Aaron freaking Judge, and I guess people who aren't using their heads had to be reminded of that. And only absolute superstars like Aaron Judge have the ability to do something that savage, and my God, was it satisfying Almost more satisfying than anything I've experienced in my time as a Yankee fan, short of seeing a world championship in 2009. (laughs) Obviously, there's some other things in there, but still, very satisfying in the moment. Because people just needed a reminder. They really needed that reminder. And it's sad that they did, because anybody who uses their brains should realize that Aaron Judge does not need to participate in a sign-stealing scheme. And then, ironically, after all this crap happened, an article came out that Jay Jackson admitted that he was tipping his pitches. (laughs) You can't make it up. You cannot make it up. So the Blue Jays fans hurling ridiculous accusations and allegations Aaron Judge's way the Blue Jays doing a lot of whining and crying themselves. And then the pitcher just admits that he was tipping his pitches, and Aaron Judge had to remind them the very next night with a huge home run, a towering home run to center field, just like the towering home run to center field the night prior when he was accused of cheating. He had to remind everyone, I'm the reigning AL MVP. I hit 62 home runs last year, breaking the American League single-season home run record. And I own you. Look at Aaron Judge's numbers against the Blue Jays. He owns them. And he had to remind them. Happens. These things happen in sports. What can I tell you? And this was a part of the mindset that the Yankees could very well be back. And Aaron Judge is the heartbeat of this team, as we know. There is... You can't overstate that enough. And he proves that. I mean, even for a chunk of today's game, granted, yes, the offense ultimately did score and get the job done. But for a chunk of today's game where Aaron Judge had the day off, the offense wasn't doing anything for a long time. And you're like, well, Aaron Judge is sitting. There you go. But he is very important to this team. He's the ultimate factor of importance. He's of paramount importance. There's no debating that. And he just had to remind people and put them in their place about what the real deal was. But after all that mess with Judge on Monday, back to all the crap that's happened this past week, on Tuesday, like I said before, after all the aftermath crap of everything with Judge from the night prior, and after Jay Jackson (laughs) admitted that he was in fact tipping pitches, shocking, (laughs) Herman, the very next night, now this is what I was talking about when saying that the Blue Jays might actually have a leg to stand on when it comes to a Yankee cheating, and it doesn't come as a surprise as to who it was, given his past lapses in judgment. 
Domingo Herman got thrown out of the game in the fourth inning for pitching with an apparent foreign substance, quote-unquote. Now, it turns out that Herman claimed that it was just a heavy amount of rosin or a different type of rosin. Apparently, there are two different types of it, even like a hard substance or a difference in a bag or color or, or how sticky it ends up coming out to be. And pitchers have spoken about of late about how when you go wash it off with alcohol or maybe when it mixes with sweat, it ends up coming out to be extra sticky. And at times it seems to have deceived umpires. Like the first time that they were checking Herman and then they checked him again now and actually threw him out of the game, which they didn't do the first time. And then the whole thing happened with Max Scherzer a couple of weeks ago. So there's been a problem with rosin. If Herman is in fact telling the truth here about having only used rosin. Now, he did have a brown substance on his pants after he was holding his hands there on his waists. And then they they revealed after the game that it was just dip. It was like tobacco, you know? So that wasn't that wasn't anything that he had on his hands while he was pitching. He just took it out of his mouth afterwards after he got thrown out. So his hands were, his fingers had it on them, and he put it on his pants, and that's why that was, that residue was left behind on his pants. But when it comes to actually what he was using, there are issues now regarding rosin. Now, I don't know if Herman used more than he knew he could, or when he was asked to wash it off, or what the point was, or what the deal is, like after the first time. It sounds to me like from what he's saying that he hasn't gotten a thorough enough explanation or maybe he has and he just continued to go out there with more than he knew he should have had. Or And then he said there was a problem where they, where they were telling him that he wasn't using enough even. It just is a whole mess. And the umpires were saying, it was the same crew ironically, that was giving him all those warnings the first time out that it was happening. But... They were saying that it was the stickiest hands they've ever felt. It's just a whole mess. Now, problem is, and they were even questioning Schmidt the other day too, Clark Schmidt. Problem is, is that after this happening twice with Herman now, granted, yes, Herman has had questionable judgment decisions, of course, in his life, both off the field and on the field, but even granted the fact that this issue has happened with other pitchers around baseball too occasionally, most namely Max Scherzer outside of the Yankees. And he swore up and down that he had, he had only used rosin. And David Cohn did that whole thing on ESPN with, with the alcohol and showing how sticky it makes your hands combined with rosin and whatnot. Problem is, is if pitchers aren't truly clear on this, and other stu- substances like alcohol or sweat can add extra stickiness to someone's hands when they're pitching, and it is deceiving umpires into thinking they are using a foreign substance, this is something that needs to be cleared up by the league immediately. Because if Herman and if Scherzer were truly only ever using rosin, that's two ejections for a substance that is supposed to be legal. Rosin is the one particular substance that you can use and are encouraged to use as a pitcher that is legal. So, if this is all these pitchers have been using, and they've either used too much or too little of it, and the combination of sweat or alcohol are making it extra sticky and deceiving umpires and leaving it up to their opinions in-game and leading to pitchers getting thrown out for using a legal substance, the league has to intervene and clear this crap up. And where's the line? 
Because umpires will also talk about, oh, this is, you know, there's a little stickiness here, but that's fine, that's normal. But then when it's very sticky, or even if it's just rosin and they think it's someone else, they throw someone out, and then everyone can confirm it was just rosin that the pitcher was using, but they're like, oh, those are the stickiest hands I've felt. Usually, if it was a little less stickier, then I just tell them to wash it off and leave them in the game. Well, where's the line? What is not sticky enough, and what is just right, and what is too sticky to stay in the game? And if we leave this up to umpires' discretion every single game, well, we know that a lot of umpires aren't the sharpest tools in the shed. So if we leave that up to each individual umpiring crew each game that has to question this sort of a thing, this could get really messy really quick. And Domingo Herman and Max Scherzer, guys like this, could be just the beginning. So the league needs to clear this up. What is not sticky enough? What's the right amount of stickiness to still have some stickiness but stay in the game? And what is too sticky to remain in the game to the point where umpires throw a player out? Where's the line? And how do we stop the deception of a pitcher using rosin, but it gets so sticky after being combined with sweat and or alcohol to the point where it makes umpires think they're using an illegal foreign substance? This gets to be really messy. I don't know if Herman was telling the truth about only using rosin, using a different kind, and the umpires being deceived into thinking it was a foreign substance, or if it actually was a foreign substance. Because again, Herman isn't necessarily the best person out there to trust. But all I do know is that you even have others like Scherzer who swore up and down that in his particular instance, again with the umpire and crew, same thing, that it was just rosin. And both times with Domingo Herman, it was claimed to be just rosin. Now, that's not to say that Herman, it wasn't his responsibility to be more careful. Especially given the fact that he had been analyzed about it before this. So after that happened, it is also on him to be as careful as possible and not to do something so stupid as to take a risk as to doing something that could be deceived as something else. That's on him as well. Because the fact of the matter was, he got kicked out of the game and now received a 10-game suspension, as is typical for anyone ejected out of a game for being thought to be using a foreign substance. But you just had to have the bullpen, which they miraculously did, you had to have the bullpen eat the last, how many outs was that? 18 outs through to the rest of the game. You have to have the bullpen do that, which is already burnt out, especially because there have been no off days in almost three straight weeks. And now, in a rotation that has especially been suffering before Severino got back, now things are alleviated a little bit with him having come back today, but before Severino had been officially activated, this rotation was already short on pitching talent. And now, you just got yourself a 10-game suspension taxing your bullpen, and lessening the rotation. So it is also on him to be more careful and to not hurt his team in the process so irresponsibly as he has in the past. So while I do think that there is a bit of a messy situation that requires more clarification by the league when it comes to rosin, 
I do think that Domingo Herman very well may have been irresponsible on this night and that he needs to do better, especially after having already been spoken to about this very subject prior by these umpires. Very same crew, again. So maybe they were targeting him. Maybe the Blue Jays said something. Regardless, because he was pitching like a magician in those first three innings. He looked terrific. So, listen, you just got to be better with it. You just have to be. And plus, the optics looked awful, too, because just the night prior, the Yankees were caught up in this whole freaking thing with Judge, and no matter how ridiculous it was, no matter how much of a non-story it was, it's still, it's not a good look after all that crap happening. It just, it was one thing after another, and then now you have to think about, oh yeah, the Yankees are thought to be cheaters with Aaron Judge at the forefront of it. And uh, and now you have a problem with the rotation, despite it being thought that Seve was going to be activated soon. Now you're down a starting pitcher, and the bullpen's got to eat all these outs now, even though they're already beyond burnt out from all these days, consecutive games in a row for weeks on end now. It was just a crappy situation all around. It was really crappy. And then not long after that, Hamilton was pitching. Ian Hamilton came out. It was early in the game for him, not really usual. He had to come right in. After the whole Herman mess, and yeah, a pitcher usually after something like that has all the time that they need to warm up because, I mean, they need to. It's hard to come into a game just cold like that. And he was looking iffy, as he had the night prior, and then he was all of a sudden taken out of the game. The trainer and Boone went out. He was taken out, and you saw the look on Boone's face. He looked like he wanted to jump off a bridge, understandably so, given all the injuries on this team. And now he had to deal with another. Because Hamilton left the game, and it was revealed afterwards that he left the game with a right groin strain. And he is now on the injured list, and from the time that he landed on it, they said he would be down for about four weeks. So the Yankees now in the bullpen, which again, they've had their nights like any bullpen does. But it has actually been a strength of this team on the whole this year. They're down another arm out there for probably at least until the middle-ish late-ish part of June, and Hamilton's been really good out there. He's been a workhorse, and he's been waiting for so long to get his shot, and he's gotten it in the early part of this Yankee season. He's been a big, big option to go to in that bullpen, and now, unfortunately, he's got to spend some time on the injured list. So, you had all of that happening, all the aftermath with Judge from the night prior. Now you have Herman and this whole crap with the rosin. What was he doing? And what's the deal? The Yankees are, in fact, cheaters now after the optics from the night prior. Blah, 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 blah. And then you have Ian Hamilton getting hurt. <laughs> it's just one thing after another. Like, what the hell is going on? This is all in the same night last Tuesday. And then at the end of the game, like I said, later on, I guess the Blue Jays didn't learn their lesson from the night prior when Jay Jackson, notorious pitch tipper now, threw Aaron Judge six or seven consecutive sliders right down the middle, mind you. Doesn't really take much to have to know how to hit that thing, especially to the reigning AL MVP. I guess they didn't learn their lesson because they took a similar approach this time despite his eyes being right on the pitcher this time. And Aaron Judge, iconically, again, this was the reminder that he is Aaron freaking Judge, hits a ball to dead center again, a towering shot to put the Yankees back out in front And ultimately, of course, the Yankees would win that game. So, judge with that go-ahead home run. Even IKF had a home run in this game. And he had himself a hell of a night overall, by the way. I gotta give him his props. And I gotta give IKF props overall. Now, listen to me really quick. 
I've been hard on IKF, especially last year when he was being forced to play every single day, and nonetheless being forced to play in a position that was not good for him, not well-suited for. So, now that he's not doing that, and now that he's taken on more of a utility role, and happily so, he's been very vocal about that. He's happy to do whatever it takes to contribute to the team any way he can and help them win. And I appreciate that mentality. And I've compared that mentality to the mentality of somebody else I'm not particularly a big fan of, as we know, Mr. Aaron Hicks, who, like I mentioned before, with a big roster move happening, we will get to shortly. But IKF has the right mentality about something like this. And I got to give him his props, not just for this game, but lately. Obviously, throughout most of the month of April and even some of May, his offensive numbers have been abysmal. He's made his mistakes in the field in areas where he's not familiar with, particularly left field more than anything, if I had to say. Just has some difficulty with judgment, wondering which balls are his and which ones are not. Almost another very scary situation with Bader today in today's game in Cincinnati. Even after when he got kneed in the face by IKF and that scary no-man's-land ball in Yankee Stadium some time ago. So, just has some inexperience in it, and it rears its head when he's in left field, plays a decent center field, plays a solid third base. Obviously, this is where he won his gold glove years ago in 2020, but I got to give him his props. Not only has he been hitting a bit better lately, but, you know, just for being willing to play anywhere and playing most positions that he is put fairly well. How he's embraced his role, he obviously doesn't have to hit all the time, but whenever he's out there of late, he seems to have fully, at this point in time, embraced his utility role. And yeah, $6 million, granted it's only one year, is a bit expensive for a utility role, but he seems to have embraced it. And he's not doing an awful job. So especially because of the last week that he had, this past week, you know, I gotta, I gotta give IKF props. You know, I've been very hard on him. Despite, you know, all of us knowing, we know what IKF is as a player. He's just not, he's not a good hitter overall. He's really not that great. And just don't force him to play in positions that aren't good for him. Like, I would really start to lessen as much as possible how much you put him in left field because his judgment calls out there aren't great. I would keep him strictly to center field, right field if you must, I guess. He's looked okay out there in his few reps out there, I guess. And third base. Primarily center field and third base. I would keep him at those whenever you need him to just slide in there just as a utility guy or maybe even a pinch running appearance. You know, just he's embraced this role and he hasn't looked awful. That's all I'm trying to say. So in the moments, particularly in this past week, but in the moments where he's come through, I got to give IKF his props. I do. Because for a lot of players, it's not easy or maybe for some impossible to embrace a utility role. It's hard for them to have to deal with it. But he has done it with open arms, a great attitude, and pretty efficiently, especially, again, as of this past week. So I got to give him props. So again, Thursday, uh, Tuesday rather was absolute mayhem. Between the aftermath of what had happened on, on Monday night and then with Herman, Hamilton, Judge hitting the big home run following all the crap, which silenced a lot of people. It was great to see. And even IKF having a home run. Crazy start to the Blue Jays series in Toronto. And then on Thursday, some more roster moves took place. Obviously, Wednesday, the Yankees had the extra innings loss where the offense was just absolutely dead. Thursday, they bounced back and won. But on Thursday, some more roster moves took place. Trevino, Jose Trevino, to the injured list with a hamstring strain. Super random. I didn't really see this one coming. I don't really think much of anybody did. But 
that gave an opportunity to someone who turns out is not fictional after all. That's right. His genre has officially gone from fiction to nonfiction. Because we know that his rehab assignment from all the injuries he continued to deal with in the earlier part of the season had been going on. But not only had we still not really seen much photo evidence of him, especially as far as where he's involved with the Yankees, but this allowed this man to finally be revealed as non-fictional after all. Mr. Ben Rortvit was called up. Holy crap. Yeah, that definitely deserves a holy crap from Frank Barone. Damn right. He was called up for the first time since the Donaldson and IKF Minnesota trade, dude. Holy crap, indeed. Now, a lot of people seem to forget that there was a third aspect to that trade. A lot of people forget about that because he's never played before. Injury after injury after injury after injury after injury after injury after injury. How many times can you say after injury? Take a shot after every single time I said that, you'll be dead. Anyways, my God, finally back and reminding everyone that he was, in fact, a part of that trade. (laughs) So he got the call up. And in the one game he's played so far, he's he's pretty good. Granted, it's one game, only a few at-bats, but... Made a hell of an impact. First impressions, right? Also, Tommy Canely commenced a single-A rehab assignment. We love that. It's further than he's ever gotten because otherwise he's had to stop with his whole bicep tendonitis problem just amidst throwing. Kept on having setbacks, got cortisone shots and and whatnot, and, and they transferred him to the 60-day, so now he still can't even come back if he wanted to a certain amount of time until he can be reactivated. So, he finally commenced a rehab assignment. That's great to see. So, hopefully, Tommy Canely will be back before long to help add back to the bullpen. They could use an arm like that. Hopefully, he is effective, especially in the absence of someone like Ian Hamilton. Getting an arm back like Tommy Canely, if he's efficient, would be a very big deal. So, we'll see what happens with Tommy's progress as he continues his minor league rehab assignments. Also, some news on Donaldson, who's supposed to be back really soon. He actually suffered a setback, not with his injury that he's had for most of the season now, up to this point, but because apparently he sliced his thumb at home. So there's that. Donaldson still seems like he's not far from coming back, which I don't really care for. I really don't think this team needs him right now, Um, especially not to interrupt what they've got going right now. I really like how DJ's been doing it third for the most part, and... I just don't really think that they need the Donaldson vibes. I don't really think I still don't think he's going to provide much offensively all that often. Sure, he'll give you some good defense down at third, like he did last year. But I don't know. I I just don't think they need Donaldson. I don't see, especially with the Yankees doing as well as they're doing right now, with more reinforcements coming in the next few weeks, hopefully. But I just really don't see Donaldson's place on this team anymore. And I definitely don't think that you could put him in sort of a a utility role, like platooning him down at third base, given the money he's making or anything like that. And and when he does come back, he's going to be out there, which is not what I want. I just don't think the Yankees need him to interrupt any, any of the goodness they've got going on right now. They're on a roll, and I don't think Donaldson will even really contribute much to that role if he is to come back, because I just, 
I don't believe in him. And I've had a lot of people crap on me for that since the start of last year, since the trade was announced, but who's been right so far? Maybe you should try listening to me with this. Because I had my concerns that he's only getting older when it came to that trade being made. You know, I don't have to say it again, but I will for those who just seem to continuously forget that I've been right about this trade from day one. That I had concerns about him being an aging vet. He had injury problems in the past, and those problems have now reared their heads so far this year. And that I'm not quite sure that he could repeat what he did offensively the very year prior, in 2021. And look what's happened. And now for the vast majority of this season so far, granted, yes, we're only about a a quarter of the way through it, a little bit past that, he has barely played. I just don't think they need him. I really don't. But perhaps something they just did recently, perhaps, if he were to be in and not contribute for some time, maybe, just maybe, or maybe they wouldn't because it would be too much with the both of them, this happening to the both of them combined. But something that happened the other day, actually just yesterday, could it be that they wouldn't really throw this away, the possibility of this happening, of the same thing happening to Donaldson, which I really, again, wouldn't mind if this happened. But given what happened yesterday, is it completely out of the realm of possibility that they could, in fact, actually ultimately do this with Donaldson? Now, if Donaldson comes back and performs, which would be a pleasant surprise to me, then so be it. Whatever helps better the team. But if after a while passes, he's really not doing much besides some okay defense, could a move like this that the Yankees did yesterday actually make us see that it is within the realm of possibility after all that they could do the same with Donaldson? What I'm referring to is what the Yankees did with Aaron Hicks at long last yesterday. And that was DFAing him. So Aaron Hicks is finally gone. Obviously, if nobody's to pick him up, then I guess the Yankees could decide what to do with him at that point. If they would decide to take him back and just, I don't know, maybe stick him in the minors. I don't know what they would do. I I really have no idea. But obviously, the fact of the matter remains that they are not in need of Hicks anymore. It does come, ironically, after... He had actually been hitting decently in the last week. He'd actually picked it up a bit offensively. But I guess they picked that as a good time to officially do it. And it did come with another corresponding move from the day prior when the Yankees did announce also it lit the community on fire given what this guy actually surprisingly did for the team in 2021. Does the name Greg Allen sound familiar to anyone? Well, it turns out he was in the minor leagues with the Red Sox. And in a rare exchange between the Red Sox and the Yankees, they actually, the Yankees, acquired Greg Allen back in exchange for minor league right-handed pitcher Diego Hernandez and cash considerations. So after Greg Allen, with no offensive expectations, came to the Yankees in 2021 and displayed some really good defense, some really good speed, and surprisingly to everyone, some decent offense. Obviously, the Yankees would end up losing him, but he is now back two years later, the legend Greg Allen. 
<laughs> he's finally back with the Yankees. They actually got him back from the Red Sox. And I imagine since they had done this the day prior to DFAing Hicks, and given what Aaron Boone said in one of his press conferences with the media, saying that he had known that the that the move of Greg Allen and uh, was happening for some time now, maybe that was discussion going on in the front office that the Yankees for some time now have actually been just waiting to DFA him, and they've been waiting to pick someone else up like Greg Allen before doing so. So I guess the Yankees might have been planning this for long, and then it might have just coincidentally happened with the timing that it happened after Aaron Hicks had actually had a pretty decent week. <laughs> That's just how timing works out sometimes. But, nonetheless, Greg Allen is here. He has already made an impression in the last couple of days since being back with the, with the team after trading with the Red Sox for him. And Aaron Hicks, in exchange, was DFA'd. This was a day, as I said, that I really never truly thought would happen. Never thought I, I never saw it coming because of the fact that he's owed money and contract through to 2025. And I just didn't think the Yankees would have the guts to actually do the right thing and potentially even eat the money and just put an end to this madness with Hicks already. Again, last week he was hitting well, but first sign of really solid hitting that we've seen in years. It was long overdue, guys. The one thing that I think is a bit hypocritical of Yankee fans, and I'm not going to fault anybody for wishing him well, I do wish Aaron Hicks well to a certain degree. The reason why I say certain degree and say that some Yankee fans are being hypocrites is because now, around social media, I happen to be seeing Yankee fans starting to take a kinder approach to Aaron Hicks. I guess because of the realization now that he's no longer with the team, so there's no real need to show any legitimate hostility towards him anymore. But nonetheless... I see a lot of people being like very nice about the situation and people saying finally that Aaron Hicks is gone, like myself. People are being crapped on for saying that. Let's not pretend that you yourself were not part of the crowd at Yankee Stadium relentlessly booing the guy for God knows how long or calling for his head for God knows how long on social media or maybe both. And now you're going after people for saying, thank God he's finally gone. And you might also be asking yourself, well, why do you only wish him the best to a certain degree, Mike? I wish him the best to a certain degree because due to the things that he was saying and how he was acting on the field, combined with what he was saying off the field, how could I fully wish him well? This was a guy complaining about his position on the team when his position on the team was his own doing. Having the complete opposite mindset of, for example, IKF's productive mindset when it comes to playing a utility role, that you are in because of you. Talking about deserving chances that he hasn't earned. Clear signs that he had quit on the team and quit on himself due to behavior on the field. Not putting in effort. Trotting over to balls in the outfield. Not throwing it in half as well as he used to. Sometimes trotting down the line on a ground ball, for instance. Yeah, I might be nitpicking a little bit, but when you compile all of these things, and these are behavioral patterns that we've seen from Hicks on the field for some time now, it really makes one stand back and say, this guy clearly doesn't want to be here at all. He no longer cares. The fans are being hostile towards him. It's a bad matchup. And yes, the organization does deserve a lot of the blame for continuing to force the issue for much longer than it should have been. 
So yes, the Yankees deserve a great deal of the blame as well as an organization with this whole Aaron Hicks problem as of the last few years. And did it end up being a brutal extension on Cashman's behalf? Hell yeah, it did. But let's stop being hypocrites, Yankee fans. Let's stop going after people who are saying, I'm glad that Hicks is gone when you yourself were calling for his head, and don't make believe that you weren't, I know that there are maybe a couple of Hicks defenders out there left. It's inevitable that even the worst of baseball players, objectively the worst of baseball players, will still have their couple of defenders out there. That's inevitable. So I don't doubt that. But 99% of people out there were calling for his head on social media, booing him at the stadium relentlessly, and now we have these people going after all the Yankee fans for saying, oh, that's a bit harsh that you're glad that he's gone. After what you were just saying about him not long ago. Let's stop being hypocrites, okay? I'm sorry. I'm glad the guy's gone. I am. He says that he loved being a Yankee. It was like the greatest thing that ever happened to him. There are certain things that he exhibited, certain things that he said and did that would suggest otherwise. So in light of me saying this, if you want to say that I'm calling Aaron Hicks a liar, then go ahead. I guess I am to a certain degree at least. But... And I do wish him the best of luck because he didn't do anything evil or vindictive at the end of the day. I mean, he's not a horrible person, but he quit on the team. He quit on himself on a number of occasions. And he didn't put his all into it. And he thought he deserved opportunities that he didn't earn, despite the money he's making and despite the extension on his contract. That stuff annoys me. Regardless of who the player is, doesn't matter. So, I honestly cannot say that I'm going to miss him at all. Because I won't. The guy had to go. This had to happen. It was overdue. But I'm not a completely heartless person. And don't think that Aaron Hicks is evil or vindictive. So that's why I say I wish him the best, but to a certain degree. It's just different when it comes to him. People going around saying, oh, you know, there's the great memories, the dive and catch in Minnesota, home run off Verlander in 2019 playoffs. Fine. I mean, there was once upon a time where Aaron Hicks was a decent Yankee. He was good, had a cannon of an arm in the outfield, had incredible range, even had his fair share of offensive moments. But these are all things that you're talking about here. The vast majority or all of these things are things that happened nearly or even exactly or even more than a half a decade ago. Hence my reinforcement of the fact that this was long overdue, people. Don't feel bad about it. This was something that should not have even continued into this season. Let alone heading into the later part of May with it. This was long overdue. So while I do say, yes, the organization deserves blame for dragging this on with Aaron Hicks as long as it did, kudos to them. For cutting the cord, I gotta give him kudos for that as well. Finally, seeing the light with this. Again, it is coincidental that it happens to come around the time where he actually had a half-decent week offensively. And I do appreciate him for those moments in contributing to these awesome wins this past week. But that doesn't change the fact of how overdue this was. So, wishing the best again to a certain degree. I mean, thanks for the memories back then, because they were some time ago, as I mentioned, they were awesome memories, like the diving catch in Minnesota, home run off Verlander, and any other sort of moment you could think of from 2018 back. He did have his good moments, but it had to come to an end. It had to. So, 
the Aaron Hicks era, as of now, is over. Greg Allen returns to the team for the first time since 2021. In a year, of course, we remember 2021 as being the infamous year where the Yankee offense especially was notoriously, absolutely nightmarish. And Greg Allen helped to bring some excitement that year. So, I always remembered him for that. I think it's very interesting that they decided to get him back, particularly from the Red Sox, in a rare exchange with Boston. So that's pretty cool. But in light of that, and Boone and others saying this was, they knew that this was being spoken about for a few days, and obviously they were planning on getting him because they had their plans with Hicks. And uh, because if it wasn't a plan with Hicks already, then they wouldn't have done it if it was based on how he was doing because this past week, again, he had a good week. So this was something that they were planning for at least a few days already. They found it in them to get Greg Allen back, and they made their move with Hicks. And like I said before, when I compared it with the Donaldson situation a little little bit, maybe this also means, maybe, maybe the Yankees wouldn't put it beyond them to actually do the same with Donaldson. Now, again, it would be even more money that they would have to potentially eat, yes. But my logic goes to more of the extension aspect and the amount of years because obviously Hicks was signed through to 2025. So, because he had a seven-year, $70 million extension. So, my thought process was, and I'm not saying it's a guarantee or it will definitely happen if Donaldson doesn't produce particularly offensively, but all my mind told me was that it might not be completely out of the realm of possibility that they would be willing to do the same thing with Donaldson because they did it with Hicks, and Hicks has a couple of years left. And if they do eat the money, then they're going to be eating 20 plus, 20, 20 plus million. If they would be willing to do that with Hicks, granted if they were to do it with Donaldson, they'd be probably eating closer to 50, 50 million with the two of them combined this year alone. But... Donaldson is obviously down to his last year on his contract. Owed about $25 million. So they would have to eat that, but with almost that exact same amount with the remaining part of Hicks's contract, if they were willing to do that with multiple years left, then maybe they'd be willing to do it with Donaldson down to his last year. That was what my mind told me. So, I mean, we'll see what happens with Donaldson in that regard if he doesn't produce. But... My mind just told me maybe if they were willing to do that with Hicks, it wouldn't be totally impossible with Donaldson because I just truly don't see a role with him here anymore. I, I never saw a role with him here, period, but especially not with the team the way it is right now. With them all hitting on all cylinders, Rizzo's doing what he's doing, Glaber, despite his mental lapses that he's had again of late, is doing what he's doing, Volpe's here, DJ's down at third looking good, the Yankees are making do in the outfield for now. I, I just, and IKF's in the utility role, and they've got Greg Allen now for speed and, and and utility and defense, and even some offense. He got a hit today, a triple. So, I, I don't, I just don't think, especially when, when someone like Stanton is to come back as well for more offensive rejuvenation, hopefully if he is to stay healthy. I, I don't see a place for Donaldson anymore. I, I don't, obviously I don't want him to be hurt. I, it's not what I want, but... I just don't see his his place, his role here anymore, and I don't think it's necessary for him to return. Just my opinion. 
And then, of course, as far as the rest of Yankees news, you're basically coming into today at this point after all the crap he just went through. (laughs) Severino did, in fact, return today, and Brito was optioned back down to AAA as expected. He had to be the first to go. I mean, I've been a big advocate for Brito since the beginning of the season, especially after how he did in spring training to earn that spot in the rotation, particularly after it was announced that both Seve and Rodon would start the season on the injured list. I was like, hell, give this kid a shot. And... He did show some very good aspects, and even in the moments where he wasn't great, I mean, he had that one disastrous start against Minnesota, but, I mean, other than that, the kid has good stuff. He throws hard with his fastball, and I love the movement on the fastball as well, as a changeup, really good slider. His problem is, is that he needs time to develop more control and command, because I don't think the kid knows where his pitchers are going 100% of the time. I think it's just he throws them and... They end up where they end up. And he just, he doesn't throw enough strikes. He doesn't. He walks way too many hitters. You saw that in his most recent start as well. Yesterday with Cincinnati. Uh, it's, it's, he could use more time in the minors, in other words. He really can. Again, did show his positive aspects, and his pitches are good. So I think with time and a bit more development, if he is to develop more control and command, I think he could be an exciting piece to be able to turn to. But in light of his struggles to throw strikes and his lack of command, I definitely definitely agree with him having to be the first one to go in light of some reinforcements returning this time in the form of Luis Severino. Now, some people have questioned what happens going forward when Herman is back from his suspension, what happens when and if Rodon comes back, if he ever pitches again in his freaking life, which, yes, that's an exaggeration. I'm sure he'll pitch again at some capacity. But if he ever is to come back, they're saying at the end of June, maybe the beginning of July, we'll see. He's just been a big question mark, as I say. He's, he's more of a question mark than just about anybody on the injured list right now. But, I mean, what, what happens when he comes back? Personally, when Herman comes back, I definitely, I definitely think that, listen, because of his lapses in judgment and if they prove that it was indeed a foreign substance or he just wasn't being smart about what he was caught for in the Blue Jays game, if it was a different rosin, if he was warned about it and just wasn't responsible with it still, then I would consider what to do about him just on the team overall because if that was also on his behalf, partially a lapse in judgment, considering that the dilemma the team had found itself in with lack of starting rotational depth and the bullpen being burnt out and just the selfishness that would have to go in to making such an egregious mistake, given the state of the team. I would consider his status on the team overall. Some people said to cut him if it was him definitively using a foreign substance or just not being responsible. I can't really argue with those people. Problem is, of the three, of him, Brito, and Schmidt, Herman's the best one. So, that makes it complicated. So, if you were to keep him on the team, I guess when Herman is to return, if he's to stick around, which I'm sure he will, I doubt the Yankees will cut him, but I would definitely slide him back in there because at that point, you would have Garrett Cole, Nestor, Severino, Herman and Schmidt. And then, when or if Rodon is to return, obviously you boot Schmidt right out of the rotation, because you got to get him out of there, and possibly, 
if you could do it roster-wise, get him back in that bullpen as a long relief option because I've said for a long time now that that's where I truly believe he belongs. But when Herman is to return, then you're looking at a pretty solid rotation. I mean, yes, Nestor has had some starts that would suggest in the earlier part of this year, particularly of late other than his most recent start, that he has regressed a bit. But, I mean, you kind of got to hope he figures out. He's, he's part of the big pieces to the puzzle, no? You got to hope he figures it out. And if he does, then you got Cole, Nestor, Sevi, Herman as one through four. It's not bad. And when Rodon comes back, if he's good to go, which obviously that's a big if, then that's a solid one through five, man. Solid. Don't hold your breath for Frankie Montas, of course. And if he does come back, what are you even going to get from him? That's the question. So we'll see what happens with this. But when Herman comes back, and the also unfortunate part about him being suspended is you got a dead roster spot. You can't really make an exchange for him. So that's the unfortunate part regarding that. But when he's to return, one through four is looking good. And then right when you can after that, get Clark Schmidt out of that rotation and get him into the bullpen as long relief. I mean, he's had his moments where he looks good at times, certain innings, but he still has that problem with not giving proper length and just getting into a lot of trouble that he causes himself. I still don't like that cutter. I just don't. And I just don't think he belongs in a major league rotation as of now. I just don't. I truly, truly don't. So... We'll see what happens going forward with that. But of the three, I do agree that Brito had to be the first to go. When you can do it, Schmidt would have to be the second one to go. So, Brito back down to AAA. Sevy coming back to majorly enforce the rotation, and he really did look good today. So, that's a massive relief. Now, let's get to recapping some games, huh? I'll briefly go over the ones from two weeks ago because those have long since passed. But we do have to at least talk about the final scores, right? And then we'll talk about the mayhem of this past week when it comes to specific in-game details. Obviously, we brushed over a lot of the big talking points about this past week, but the actual games themselves, got to talk about those, right? So, Yapping Yankees Time Machine, let's do it. All right. (laughs) Right after I played that sound effect, I just decided to go grab a bite to eat some of my mom's Amazing fresh Sunday pasta with some sausage and meatballs. So I have done that. Now I'm back here nice and refreshed, nice and full. And let's get on to that weekly recap. So we go back to two Sundays ago, if you remember that tough loss to the Rays on that Sunday that um that really stunk. <laughs> that game that really should just not have been a loss. And like I said, two weeks ago, when we last spoke, the Yankees were losing a lot of games that they shouldn't have beating themselves, and this was one of them, having a 6 nothing lead with Cole on the mound back last Sunday. We spoke about that and how disgusted I was two Sundays ago. Well, that continued, and then you realize where we are now, and, you know, the ebbs and flows of a baseball season, man, they are real. But we already spoke about that game, so Monday the 8th against the A's, the Oakland Athletics came to town, and I said two weeks ago, the Yankees have just got to sweep them, especially after a tough loss like that in Tampa. Tough flight home probably after a loss like that. Just got to get right back on track and just sweep a horrible team in the A's. You got to take care of them. Fortunately, they did. The first night, the Yankees threw out to start Nestor Cortez. Five innings, six hits, two runs, four strikeouts. 
two walks, an okay start for Nestor. But he would not get the win on the day. Actually, who would get the win after that was Ron Marinaccio. After pitching a shutout inning in the sixth, and that was when the Yankees would jump back out in front after Nestor allowed the A's to tie the game at two, so that's why Marinaccio got the win for the day. Hamilton in a scoreless inning after him, and then Nick Ramirez a scoreless two frames after that. The Yankees actually faced former Yankee J.P. Sears, and as far as the scoring went, Oswaldo Cabrera, two-run shot in the bottom of the fifth, got the Yankees on the board, two to nothing. And then later on in the bottom of the sixth, Glaber Torres, solo shot, gave the Yankees the lead, 3-2. to two. DJ put them more out in front after that with his fourth of the year, two-run shot to left center field, driving Rizzo home, made it 5-2. to two. And in the bottom of the seventh, to get them some extra insurance, some extra padding there with their lead, Aaron Hicks, his first home run of the year, finally, only took until... Beginning mid-May to hit a home run. <laughs> so that made it 7-2. And this is what I was talking about. Particularly with the last week in general. But this even started going back two weeks ago, arguably. He actually started to hit a little bit. A little, little bit. So this two-run shot gave the Yankees their 7-2 to lead. And that would be the final that day. Good way to start the series. Tuesday the 9th against the A's. The Yankees threw Clark Schmidt out there, and Clark Schmidt himself a decent start. Six innings, actually gave some decent length. Five hits, two runs, two walks, seven strikeouts, so not bad at all. Yankees did give up a total of five runs total. Abreu gave one up, and Weissert gave up two. Again, Weissert's been a bit shaky to start the season. As far as scoring, the Yankees put 11 runs up on the board. They did fall behind 1-0 earlier in the game, but then Aaron Judge, on his first night back, this was the night that he returned, obviously, like we talked about on Tuesday, the 9th, on a fielder's choice, he was able to drive Trevino home to tie the game at 1, Anthony Rizzo gave him a 2-1 lead on an RBI single, and Glaber Torres got an RBI single himself, as well as Harrison Bader, respectively, to give them a 3-1 lead and then a 4-1 lead, and then Jake Bowers with the sacrifice fly made it 5-1, so the Yankees, after falling behind 1-0, The next inning in the bottom of the third just went right out ahead of them. And then when they had a 5-2 lead in the bottom of the fifth, Kleber Torres with another home run, his sixth of the year, two-run shot, 7-2. And then when they had a 7-3 lead, Jake Bowers with his second home run of the year with the Yankees since he came up, driving home Bader made it 9-3, and the A's would tack on two more. But with Jordan Diaz hitting his third home run of the night, he had a good night that night, Diaz for the A's. And that made it 9-5, to and the Yankees added on a little bit more after that, made it 10-5 to on a judge sacrifice fly, and that was the final. So a lot of scoring on Tuesday night, the 9th. Yankees win 10-5 after Diaz had himself a hell of a night for the A's, but not enough to beat the Yankees. And then Wednesday was a very nice victory. The Yankees won 11-3 to to complete the sweep. Johnny Brito pitched. Didn't do great, didn't do horrendously. Four and a third, so not given much length. Still two walks, five hits, two runs, and just three strikeouts. So an S start for him, I guess. Cordero came in after him. He would get the win on the day. Cordero's been really solid out of the bullpen, I gotta say. An inning and two-thirds scoreless. And then Davey Garcia back with the team. He got his first save because despite the Yankees... Having a big lead come the end of the game, he did pitch the final three innings, only giving up one run on a solo shot, so he did earn the save. His first save of the year, obviously. So, 
Yankee pitching, not too many guys. It's what you like to see, especially amidst a long stretch where the bullpen is being burnt out. Glaber Torres, sack fly, got them on the board in the bottom of the first. And then a Harrison Bader three-run shot to follow made it 4 to nothing. And then after the A's crept a little closer, making it 4-2 to two in the top of the second, bottom of the fifth, the Yankees jumped out even more. Anthony Rizzo, RBI single, made it 5-2. to two. DJ, two-run shot, his fifth home run of the year, made it 7-2. to two. And then Anthony Volpe with his first career grand salami for the Italian kid from Jersey, Anthony Volpe. Fourth home run of the year at the time. Such a big home run for him. Obviously, first career Grand Slam is huge. I was so hyped for the kid. Made it 11-2, to and obviously the Yankees, <laughs> they were going to win the game, of course. The final would end up being 11-3. to And then Tampa Bay came to town, and Thursday started the only game in which, throughout all the games the Yankees and the Rays have played against each other this year, so far it's seven as of last weekend, only one game was not decided by one run. The rest of the six was only decided by a run, despite all the chaos that's taken place in most of their head-to-head matchups this year so far in the young 2023 season. All of the games but one have been decided by just one run. It's crazy, right? That goes to show what I was saying after the series against Tampa prior in Tropicana Field the last time we spoke. While Tampa certainly, I do feel, is the better team still, as of right now, it is very close to being even. I don't think they're that much better than the Yankees. And the Yankees have shown some great fight against them this year. And the Yankees also have lost a lot of games that they shouldn't have. And some of those losses were against Tampa. There were plenty of games that they very well could have won, but didn't. So, despite how the records are, and definitely how the records started off more so, I don't think it's as far apart between the teams as some people may think. I said that two weeks ago, and I said even more so now, despite it just being a split at Yankee Stadium last weekend, but it's just how I feel between the two teams. But Thursday was the only day, really, when it was just really far apart, and it was really obvious who was going to win the game. Herman started the game, went five and two-thirds, only allowed three hits, two runs, only one earned, three walks, and three strikeouts. And one of the runs wasn't earned, because of an Anthony Rizzo error down at first base in the top of the fifth, and then that run would end up scoring on a Yandy Diaz RBI double in the fifth. So that was why one of the runs for Herman was not earned. But otherwise, after that, Josh Lowe in the top of the sixth would end up having a bases-clearing double. Three-run double made it 4 nothing Tampa after in the top of the fifth, Yandy Diaz made it one to nothing after the Rizzo error. And then in the top of the seventh, to make it 5 nothing, Taylor Walls hit an RBI double. Top of the eighth, Josh Lowe again. Two-run shot, made it 7 nothing. And then Isak Paredes, who was making his mark last year starting to, and now this year just continues to. RBI double made it 8 nothing. And then the only runs the Yankees could tack on was when they were down 8 nothing in the bottom of the ninth, and Glaber got a two-run single, and the final was 8-2. to two. So a very... Uh, a game that the Yankees would very much like to forget. Fortunately, the next day they would bounce back with a W, Friday the 12th. Out there on the mound for the Yankees to start was Garrett Cole. He went five innings, allowed five hits, two runs, two walks, and four strikeouts. 
And uh, this was a very even game between the two teams. Really exciting stuff. It started off in the top of the first with Arena hitting his 10th home run of the year. A solo shot made it 1-0. Yankees bounced right back in the bottom half with an Anthony Rizzo solo shot. His 7th of the year tied the game at 1. And then in the top of the second, battle of the solo shots. Rays again. Jose Siri, solo shot made it 2-1. Anthony Volpe, bottom of the fifth. A few innings later, solo shot of his own. His 5th homer of the year tied the game at 2. So... First half of the game, just battle the solo homers. And then bottom of the seventh, Anthony Volpe again, RBI single, made it 3-2. And then Oswaldo Cabrera, RBI single, driving in Bowers to make it 4-2, although Cabrera would get thrown out at second after that. So that did make it 4-2 nonetheless, so the Yankees did grab the lead. Top of the eighth with a two-run lead. And this one was tough, especially considering who was on the mound. Michael King, one of the better relievers the Yankees have, of course. Josh Lowe, after doing all the damage he did in the first game, hit a go-ahead three-run shot to make it 5-4 raise. So, especially after the blowout the night prior, Yankees were looking pretty good. Had a couple of big hits from Oswaldo and Volpe in the prior inning. And then Josh Lowe just tries to break their backs on this one. 5-4 raise. Then in the bottom of the eighth, fortunately, the Yankees did not go down without a fight. Another classic, really close, intense Yankees-Rays game. Anthony Rizzo comes up again, another home run. Second one of the night after his solo shot earlier in the night to tie the game at one. This one, a go-ahead two-run shot, driving home his best friend Aaron Judge alongside himself, making it 6-5 Yankees. And then, of course, in the top of the ninth, Wandy Peralta would close it out, get the save. Holmes got the W on the night, finishing off the eighth inning for King afterwards, and the Yankees would win a thriller 6-5. to five. Saturday, the game that I went to, this one was freaking crazy. Like I said, they were down 6 nothing, and Nestor Cortez has started the game and started off okay. You know, throughout the fir- up until the fifth inning, he had only allowed that one run, in the top of the second on a Taylor Walls RBI single. So I was like, oh, it's not bad. But then it just melted down in the fifth for him, allowed five more runs. All of the runs that he gave up on the afternoon were earned. Six runs, so really spiked his ERA. Two walks, only three strikeouts, seven hits. Not a good start ultimately for Nestor, even though the fifth inning was really his only awful inning. It did not make his final line look good at all. So they were down 6 nothing, but fortunately, the Yankees bounced right back almost immediately right after that, after they went up 5 nothing on a Yandy Diaz grand slam, and then 6 nothing on a Randy Rosarena RBI single that originally looked like an inning-ending ground out to DJ, but was overturned to be an RBI single, just demoralizing everybody on the field and in the seats, including myself, even more. But then fortunately in the bottom of the fifth, the Yankees started their crawl back. Kyle Higashioka continuing to uh, show his pop. Third home run of the year, two-run shot, made it 6-2. to two. And then Aaron Judge with his first of another multi-home run game for him as he continues to pile up on those as well. His seventh homer of the year, two-run shot, made it 6-4. to four. And at this point, I'm thinking, could they really do it? My God, can you imagine? Then Anthony Volpe creates a run all on his own because he reaches first base, steals second, steals third, and then scores in a wild pitch by Ryan Thompson. So he creates a run all on his own, making it 6-5 to five Rays now. 
And then this was the one that I got on video. Aaron Judge's go-ahead two-run shot. Eighth home run of the year driving Glaber home. Just unbelievable. What a game. Never leave games early. This is another reminder of that, people. Don't leave games early. You never know what you could miss. And I was slightly tempted, but I think my general rule is it has to be 8 nothing or worse. And up to like the 6th or the 7th inning. Otherwise, my ass is staying planted in that seat. Because the last thing I want is to be hearing the game on the radio after the fact and missing something beyond epic. So I'm glad that I again stuck to my guns, did not leave alongside everybody else who decided to do the same. And I got to see something awesome. Then after that, Oswaldo Cabrera would drive home a couple of more on a two-run single, made it 9-6. Rays inched a little closer in the top of the seventh. Two-run single by Randy Rosarena made it 9-8. But then fortunately, to end the game in the eighth and ninth, going back with Holmes getting an inning and two-thirds scoreless and then Peralta finishing off the ninth inning, the Yankees did manage to hold on for the 9-8 win, just an epic game. And the Yankees also given the Rays a taste of their own medicine. The Rays came back down 6 nothing against Cole, the Yankees' best pitcher. And the Yankees came back down 6 nothing against the Rays' best pitcher in Shane McClanahan. There you go, right? So literally, just a complete taste of their own medicine in that game the Yankees gave the Rays back. And that is just epic. It was just awesome. And McClanahan is an elite pitcher. So is Cole going into that start, that final game against the Rays in the Trop. And he still is an elite pitcher, but I'm just saying, best pitcher the team has to offer, and the Rays somehow came back down 6 nothing, and the Yankees somehow came back down 6 nothing against McClanahan. So it's very funny how within a week's time, just <laughs> immediately just the same thing happening, just on the other foot. Reverse. This is really funny. So then Sunday came around, and this one was, this game stunk. I really thought the Yankees were going to have this one. I really did. And this was on Mother's Day, so it made it a little crappier, too. Uh, Schmidt started this game, and he went four and two-thirds, six hits, seven runs, three walks, and five strikeouts. Just, again, and only four and two-thirds, so no length given up, too many runs given up. And, yes, it is true that once Abreu came in, a lot of the runs charged to Schmidt were because of Abreu coming in and giving up a freaking grand slam before you could even freaking register that Abreu was even in the game. <laughs> so that really stunk. So that's also why Schmidt got charged all those runs in fairness to him, but he did start to lose it in the end. So I, I definitely think Schmidt had to come out, but going to Abreu, I immediately felt uneasy because Abreu generally does better when he starts clean innings, I've noticed. I was ready to just get rid of Abreu after this because he's had too many games like this. But then I was reminded, you know, a few games after that, leading up to now, that when he starts a clean inning, he has a potential to do fine. I still don't trust him because I just feel like he just lacks command a lot of the time. And the only reason the Yankees are really fascinated by him is because of how hard he throws. And I still think that to a degree. But just try giving the guy clean innings because every time he comes into a mess or inherits a mess... He seldom gets out of it, and this time, it was just a disaster. But, yeah, so it was it was just a mess, and the Yankees, unfortunately, would end up losing. But all the scoring that went down, Brandon Lau got them on the board first, did the raise, RBI ground up, made it one nothing, And then Isak Paredes made it 2 nothing on an RBI single in the top of the third. And then Lau again on a sacrifice fly made it 3 nothing. 
Oswaldo Cabrera pushed the Yankees a little bit closer. He actually started to look really good finally, a little semblance of his 2022 self because we all know how dreadful, for the most part, Cabrera has been to start this season, unfortunately. Inched him a little closer here with a two-run shot, his third of the year, made it 3-2, and then Rizzo gave the Yankees the lead in that same inning right after that on a two-run shot, driving Bowers home his ninth of the year, made it 4-3 to three Yankees, and at that point, especially because the fourth had come and gone too and Schmidt was keeping them off the scoreboard. I was like, all right, let's hold him here. Let's get this Mother's Day W and take the series three out of four, right? So just forget Thursday, put that out of our heads, blow out, move past it, win three out of four, it's all good. Unfortunately, no. Randy Rosarina, sacrifice fly, made it four to four. And I was hoping it would be done after that, but as I said, Abreu came in, grand slam to Taylor Walls. Taylor Walls, who was an awful hitter prior, And now all of a sudden, he's actually turned it around massively this year out of nowhere. And this was just another example of that. Off of Brayu, Grand Slam made it 8-4 Rays. Just, that was a tough home run to watch. Like, the Yankees had come back again from being down 3-0. And it was just feeling good after that. And then just it all went to hell. Bottom of the seventh, Yanks tried to inch a bit closer again. Thought, hey, maybe could they do it again after the game I was just at yesterday? Can you imagine? Judge RBI single made it 8-5, and then Volpe, two-run shot, made it 8-7 in the bottom of the eighth, and then bottom of the ninth, last batter of the game, Judge against their closer, Jason Adam, and two outs, nobody on. Judge looks like he could have very well gotten a hold of one. It sends Siri all the way back to the visitor's bullpen wall right in front of that. The biggest tease of all time for what would have been a beyond epic game-tying home run in the bottom of the ninth to make it 8-8 eight to eight by the captain after the great weekend he already had was just nothing but a long flyout. So the biggest tease of all time ends with what ended up going down as, after all that excitement, just a really tough defeat at the hands of Tampa, and the Yankees would have to settle for a split. Better than losing the series, but again, it would have just been great to have gotten that Mother's Day win and have held them down or maybe even have completed the comeback and that ball carried a bit more. Judge tied the game, maybe had a chance to walk it off. Ugh, would have been awesome. Oh, well. They ended up moving to Toronto after that. Moving on to there. Obviously, Monday, this is when all the Judge drama happened. The Yankees still managed to get the W, though. After all that whining about the whole judge situation, well, let's not pretend like Toronto didn't give up another six runs outside of that as well, because they did. So if they want to complain about anything, perhaps they should have also, you know, not given up six other runs. And maybe also in that instance, not thrown the reigning AL MVP and American League single season home run king six or seven consecutive sliders with the last one being right down the heart of the plate. And whether or not he was getting signs from the first base coach or trying to see where Kirk was or whatever the reason may be, realizing that it's not totally abnormal for a guy's eyes to just roam around, maybe, even if that was the case. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Story for another day, I guess. Or for earlier in the show. Anyways, <laughs> the Yankees did throw as far as starting pitchers. They did have an opener for this game because they wanted to try something different with Johnny Brito, who was set to start the game. Because Brito tended to have trouble earlier in the game, so they thought maybe starting with an opener... And then see how he does coming in after that. So they chose Jimmy Cordero to be the opener, and he did terrific. Pitched two perfect innings to start the game. And then Brito came in after that 
and pitched five and a third, only allowing one earned run, four runs total, but six hits, no walks, which is unlike him because he doesn't have that great of command and control of his pitches, usually just doesn't throw enough strikes, but no walks and two strikeouts. Now, the reason why only one of those runs was earned was due to an error by Glaber Torres in the bottom of the eighth, which resulted in more runs coming home and those being charged to Brito. Granted, only one earned was charged in. And remember how I said Glaber has had his mental lapses of late again like he tends to at times? Well, this past week was one of them, especially in the Toronto series. He did not have a good series, particularly defensively in that series. A lot of just nonsensical decisions being made, even on the base paths too. He just, I don't know, Glaber was off. I felt he definitely could have used a day off there, but he was he was definitely off. As far as scoring for the Yankees, Aaron Judge opened it up in the top of the first with a solo shot, his ninth of the year. Made it one nothing right away. Willie Calhoun after that. How about that? Willie again with his third home run of the year. Two-run shot after that. Made it 3 nothing. Top of the fourth, Kyle Higashioka driving home Volpe. RBI single made it 4 nothing. Aaron Judge with the bases loaded. Made it 5 nothing on a walk. Top of the sixth, Anthony Rizzo piled on even more with an RBI double, made it 6 nothing, And then top of the eighth is when the whole drama took place after the observation by the Blue Jays broadcast. Again, don't blame them. They were just observing something that appeared a bit unusual. That's their job as broadcasters. They're not the ones I'm upset with over that whole mess. It's more of the organization themselves and the fans who made a big deal out of nothing to follow. I just want to clarify that. Anyways, Judge hit another home run, his 10th of the year, off of Jay Jackson, the one that caused all that controversy. And that made it 7-0. Blue Jays crept closer after that, made it 7-4, but that would be the final. The Yankees held them off. And King earned the save on the night, pitching the final inning and a third scoreless. Yankees take the series opener, first of four in Toronto. Tuesday, the 16th, the aftermath of all the judge crap, the ejection of Herman, the injury of Ian Hamilton, you name it. Bunch of crap happened in this game. But starting this game was Herman, and again, first three innings were perfect. He looked terrific. But then after that, Ian Hamilton came in, and then Marinaccio to follow. Ryan Weber, really, the, the bulk of the bullpen who took on a lot of... A lot of innings, which is what the Yankees needed. An already burnt out and tired bullpen. They needed someone to go the extra mile, and Weber did. Especially because Marinaccio gave up three runs to allow the game to be tied at three after the bottom of the fifth. And then Weber came in and pitched two and a third scoreless, followed by Clay Holmes pitching a scoreless frame, as well as Wandy Peralta at the end to earn his third save. But Weber, a great job to him. Had a, had a few good relief appearances last year, and then earlier on in the season this year, allowed some runs here and there whenever he was up here, and now, as of this past week, he's proving to be a, another reliable option out of that bullpen as for now, especially if you need some innings eaten. So, and he actually got the win on the night too, so good on him. But, yeah, that whole mess with the pitching as a result of Herman getting ejected, it was just a mess. And then when the Blue Jays tied the game, eventually it got it just felt even worse. I thought the Yankees were going to lose, but credit to them for their resilience, man. Glaber Torres o- opened up the scoring in the top of the third RBI single, made it one nothing. Harrison Bader, after grounding into a double play, drove another run home, made it 2 nothing. IKF in the top of the fifth. Remember, I actually said he's been doing good as of the last week or two, especially in his utility role. Well, this was one of those instances. 
And believe it or not, to make matters even more impressive, this was off of Kevin Gossman. So he hit a solo shot the other way to right field his first of the year. Even IKF hit a home run, like I said earlier. Made it 3-0. And the Blue Jays crept closer off Marinaccio. He did not have a good inning. And he's had a few uh, shaky outings lately, but he's also had some good ones sprinkled into there. So Kevin Kiermeyer got the Blue Jays on the board. Solo shot 3-1. Bo Bichette, RBI double. And then Vlad Guerrero Jr. with a game-tying RBI single. Tied the game at 3. And it stayed that way from the 5th all the way to the 8th. When, with Aaron Hicks on base, Aaron Judge found himself at the plate being met with and showered with cheater chants <laughs> from the Blue Jays fans. And what does he do? Oh my god, he, he just, like I said, he has to remind everybody who he is. And that's just fine, it went great, and you had to know that no matter how much he liked to play it off in a classy manner, as is typical of Aaron Judge, you had to know that, especially because of how much of a bomb it was, Similarly to the night prior, you just had to know how great this home run felt. And to make it even more ironic, the the logo in dead center field with that maple leaf, as I think it's the symbol of one of the airlines there, I believe. He just chipped off a piece of that with the ball that he hit a home run with. <laughs> very symbolic, very epic, especially considering the fact it was a big, towering two-run shot to give the Yankees the lead back. Oh, my God, it couldn't have been more perfect. It just couldn't have been. Uh, oh, my goodness. That's how you demoralize an opposition. And it's very nice to see the other team getting demoralized for once. So that gave the Yankees a 5-3 to three lead in beyond epic fashion. And then in the top of the ninth, the Yankees got some insurance on a Glaber sacrifice fly. Wandy closes it out. Yankees win another First two games belong to the Yankees. They win 6-3. Wednesday, this was the game that was, uh, you'd like to forget. Offense was dead. Yankees had three errors as well. Only They only had three hits in the whole lineup. Just a game that you definitely want to forget. And it was a shame because Cole did himself a pretty nice job. Six shutout innings. Did give up seven hits, but no runs. Two walks, six strikeouts. Clay Holmes pitched nice seventh. Jimmy Cordero, scoreless 8th. Michael King, scoreless ninth. Just the offense did nothing until Wandy Peralta gave up that inevitable three-run shot in the bottom of the 10th with the ghost runner, the extra runner on second. The Yankees couldn't take advantage and score in the top half. I mean, the way they were hitting that night, or not hitting, I guess, it just felt like they wouldn't have scored if they had a runner on third and nobody out. Or the bases loaded with nobody out. They would have found a way to not score. It was one of those nights for them. So they did walk it off, the Blue Jays did, off Wandy Peralta on a Danny Jansen three-run home run, and uh, and that also came after another error, Anthony Volpe. Yeah, between Glaber's base running and defensive mistakes, Volpe also had a rough time on the turf in these games. He just he didn't handle it too well. So they did walk it off on the Yankees 3 nothing. Took 10 innings to do so. So do with that what you will. Thursday the 18th, right back at it. Yankees trying to take the series. And I was really hoping that unlike the Rays, the Rays series, they would not have to settle with a split. Fortunately, they did not. Starting this game for them was Nestor again. I was really hoping that, you know, also in such a big game, that Nestor would reverse the regressing he had had of late. And he did himself a nice job. He did give up a run right after the Yankees scored two in the top of the first on 
an Aaron, <laughs> another home run, Aaron Judge to a run shot. Uh, driving home Glaber, that made it 2 nothing right off the bat, and then Nestor gave up a solo shot to Bo Bichette right away in the bottom half of the inning, and you were like, oh, here we go. Nestor's given up more, but he kept them off after that. That was all that he himself gave up. He did get another run charged to him because he walked Whit Merrifield in the bottom of the seventh, and then he would come home to score against Ryan Weber, who was on the mound, so that's why that run was ultimately charged to Nestor because Witt came home on a Vlad Guerrero Jr. sack fly. But other than that, a nice bounce-back start for Nestor. Again, his final line was 6-plus, 5 hits, 2 runs, 1 walk only, and 6 strikeouts. So a decent bounce-back for him. Weber, an inning scoreless. Abreu, scoreless inning. And then Marinaccio finishing it off with his first save of the year in the bottom of the ninth to give the Yankees a 4-2 victory. Other than... That two-run shot by Judge, how else did the Yankees score? Well, they did score on an RBI single by Aaron Hicks in the top of the seventh. See what I was talking about? Made it 3-1. And then Anthony Volpe right down the line off of the foul pole screen. Right and left field, his seventh of the year solo shot. Gave the Yankees some nice insurance in that top of the ninth to give Marinaccio a nice two-run lead to get the save. Yankees take the series after all of the barking, after all the crying, after all the accusations, allegations being put out there by the Blue Jays. They lose three out of four. And Aaron Judge makes him look like a bunch of clowns, to put it very bluntly. That's exactly what he did after all that nonsense. Look at the series he had. Just great overall being able to leave there, having taken three out of four in their building. Awesome. And then finally, you have the series against the Reds that just wrapped up. On Friday night starting, you had Clark Schmidt. And again, he only won five innings, so not that deep. Five hits, two runs both earned, two walks, six strikeouts. Jimmy Cordero pitched after him. Cordero, Abreu, Wandy, and Nick Ramirez, all of whom pitched scoreless frames. And the Yankees did put six runs up on the board, starting the game right away in the top of the first. Aaron Judge with his 13th of the year, especially after the series he had in Toronto, picking up right where he left off. Starting the game with a solo shot, made it 1-0. Rizzo with a two-run shot, his 10th home run of the year, made it 3-0. Inched a little closer to the Reds in the bottom of the sixth. Two-run double by Jake Fraley, made it 3-2 Yankees. And Cordero was on the mound, but the base runners were Schmidt's responsibility, so those were charged to him. Top of the ninth, they padded the lead a bit more. Two-run double driving home Glaber and Waldo. Two-run double by Higgy. Made it 5-2. to two. And then Bader, adding on more with an RBI single, making it 6-2, and that would be the final. And Schmidt would get the win, so his second win of the season. Unfortunately, ERA still up at six, but nonetheless got that win, as did the Yankees overall, and they would go into Saturday looking to take the middle game, and this game was wild. (laughs) Starting it was Brito. He only went four innings, allowed four hits, four runs, four walks, and he did strike out quite a bit, especially for just four innings, struck out six guys, but again, the four walks, all the hits given up, the runs... It just proves yet again that he he didn't throw enough strikes, and this has been his problem since the Minnesota meltdown, really. He just he doesn't throw enough strikes, and he just gets too cute with his stuff or just loses control and command, and it just doesn't go well for him. So, 
Cincinnati did start off the scoring against him right away in the bottom of the first on a Jake Fraley RBI single. Yankees did come back on an Aaron Judge RBI single right away in the top of the third to tie the game at one, but then Brito let things get out of hand a bit in the bottom of the third and fourth, giving up an RBI single to Spencer Steer in the bottom of the third, and then a two-run shot to the nine-hitting catcher, Luke Maley. That made it 4-1. I was like, oh my god, that's bad. (laughs) So, that would be all that he pitched. But then the Yankees again answered back right away. This is what I'm talking about, the fight that they showed, not just in the Tampa series or even the Blue Jays series in the face of adversity, but even in this series, in this game, down 4-1, answer right back. IKF, solo shot again. He only had a handful of home runs in an entire season last year, in those games in the second half. Now he already has two this year, and both in the same week. How about that? So he hits a solo shot in the top of the fifth to get the game within 4-2. to two. Aaron Judge, <laughs> RBI double, made it 4-3. Just laugh because of how freaking unstoppable he is. He's literally a machine. And then Anthony Rizzo, after that, tied the game at 4 on an RBI single. And it could have been even more so after that. But then one of the outs was made on Aaron Judge getting thrown out at home on this hit. And I don't know, right away, I thought Judge was going to be dead at the plate. I thought it was going to be a horrible send by the third base coach. I don't know whose call it was. It must have been Rojas down at third, and he must have been drunk. I don't know. The only... Because right when the ball was being relayed back into the infield, right when the cutoff man got it, Judge wasn't even halfway down the line. He had to have taken a few shots at Tequila to think he could have made it home safely. I don't know. Whatever. So that did still end up tying the game at four anyway. And then in the top of the 10th, because the game remained scoreless, all the way from the top of... The fifth, all the way until extra innings. The Yankees couldn't get ahead, and the Reds weren't getting anything going offensively either. But the top of the 10th came around, and getting the ghost runner home being Greg Allen. First day really back at the team playing. Awesome to see. Aaron Judge, RBI single. And by the way, just on the day overall, Judge went 4-for-4. Four four. He reached base every time, and he did have another plate appearance, but it was a walk. So... Just a hell of a day for him. He drove home that go-ahead run in the top of the 10th on that RBI single, and Anthony Rizzo with another home run, going down as one of Great American Ballpark's biggest nightmares as far as opposing hitters hitting home runs there. He has hit amongst the most home runs of almost any player, visiting player at that park, and it just continued in this series. Two-run shot after that to pad the lead even more, made it 7-4, And that would be the final after the man, the myth, the legend, Ryan Weber came in in the bottom of the tent to finish it off with a perfect scoreless inning, earning his first save of the year. Yankees win 7-4. And now today's game on Peacock in the morning. It was an 11-30 game. I know a lot of people must have missed this one because a lot of people out there don't have the Peacock app. So... I do feel bad for those who missed it. I miss the Apple TV games now Now that those cost money. I do have access to Amazon Prime again. But this, you guys know how I feel about the streaming services. How everyone feels about the streaming services. Baseball, Major League Baseball is completely tone deaf to the whole situation. There's no point in going through it any longer. But, final game of the series nonetheless. It was weird to have a game done by around 2 in the afternoon. But nonetheless... So this game, Severino obviously made his return. So good to see him back. And other than having given up a few hits here and there, particularly in the earlier part of the game, 
and the Reds being gifted a really weird run in the bottom of the first. Sevy looked really sharp. Four and two-thirds, four hits, one run only, and again, that one run was questionable. One walk, five strikeouts, velocity was up, which is great to see. He looked healthy, and that's all you want from him going forward, especially given his injury history. It's the only thing you want from Sevy. Yes, you want him to pitch well, of course, but you want him to stay healthy because when he's out there, we know how great he is. He's just got to stay on the damn field. It's a problem every time. So he did hit his pitch limit. Some people were saying, oh, why didn't he allow him to just get the last out and go five? Maybe he could have gotten the win too. Well, he hit his pitch limit. It's his first start back. It's all good. But yeah, that one run in the first inning was really weird. The umpires had called that pop fly down the right field line a foul ball originally, which would make it a dead play, obviously dead ball. So Jake Bowers didn't rush to get the ball back in. Granted, Jonathan India never stopped running. So I guess that's some sort of defense somewhat, but really wasn't fair considering the play was dead after being called foul. So, really weird there. And the umpires reviewed it, overturned it to be a fair ball, and despite the play being dead, they allowed the run to score. So, and and Aaron Boone got immediately ejected over because he blew a gasket over, and rightfully so. And ever since his questionable managerial in-game decisions, I do have to say in the last week or two, Boone has been a W, man. Between yelling at the Blue Jays and yelling at their coach and and saying things that he did about how silly the situation was and pushing the right buttons the last couple of weeks and now this getting ejected in Cincinnati, <laughs> place where he's from. I don't know. He's been a W again the last couple of weeks. I'm sure eventually he'll mess up as everybody does. but um, And we'll talk about that when that happens, obviously. But I do have to give credit where credit's due again. No matter how I feel about a guy personally or however, I give them their kudos all the time. And the last week or two, Boone deserves them. He does, with how he's handled everything and how he stood up for the team and just, he's done all the right things. He has of late. So, yeah, really weird run given to the Reds. And obviously Hunter Green, the hard-throwing righty for the Reds was going, so I was like, oh, I hope they can score off him at least a little bit. And they did, but it was quiet. It was one nothing Reds for a while. All the way until the top of the fifth, and the Yankees finally started to get in their groove, starting with a Harrison Bader, Lord Bader. Two-run shot, his fourth home run of the year so far, made it 2-1 Yankees. Glaber added on with a solo shot of his own in the top of the sixth, made it 3-1 Yankees. And then Anthony Volpe in the top of the seventh with an RBI double, made it 4-1. Bullpen locked it down after that in the form of Albert Abreu pitching an inning and a third scoreless, Jimmy Cordero scoreless inning, Wandy Peralta scoreless inning, and then Holmes with some unneeded drama in the ninth, like I mentioned earlier in the show, but fortunately still a clean inning, earning his fifth save of the year. Yankees win 4-1, to sweep the Reds, improve to a 14-5 and record since May 2nd, as I said, and after 17 straight games. That's a lot, guys. They finally have an off day tomorrow. So a hell of a last two weeks of Yankees baseball after not too long ago, they were just constantly beating themselves. Well, turning it around now, getting some guys back from injury, some others not too far off at this point, hopefully. And now they finally get an off day to refresh things. Hopefully the bullpen can get rejuvenated and get some energy back. Some more guys will be available day by day going forward. And all seems to be okay. Speaking of the off day tomorrow, what is ahead for the next week until we speak again next Sunday, you might ask? Well, I tell you. Tuesday, the Orioles come to town. The Orioles, wow. How about how they're doing, huh? They just swept the Blue Jays. Good for them. Hell of a week for the Blue Jays, like I said before. 
Hell of a lot, all that crying did, huh? By the way, did anybody happen to see that quote by Kevin Gossman to just add to the laughing stock that is the Toronto Blue Jays organization? He said that they owe them, the Yankees owe the Blue Jays three more innings because Herman cheated. I mean, like I said before, can you sound any more pathetic? I mean, is there a low that you can't hit collectively as an organization at this point? Come on. Three more innings, what was that going to do? The Yankees beyond outscored you anyway and completely just showed you up in your own stadium amidst all of your nonsense. So what would three more innings do, let alone how ridiculous that mindset is anyway? This is the mindset of losers. You understand? (laughs) Like, all bark, no bite, just whiners and sore losers. And people wonder why nobody can stand this organization who, again to this point, might I remind, has accomplished nothing. And if anything, in the eyes of the general baseball community, have quite frankly been a bunch of letdowns. Yankee fans aren't the only ones clowning on these people. (sighs) So I just wanted to mention that, because it's just laughable. It's the mindset of a petulant child. It really is. It's hysterical almost. But anyways, as we were saying... 31-16 31-16 and 16 Orioles coming to town to face the now 29-20 and 20 Yankees in the American League East, just the, by far the best division in baseball as they are most years, just continues to just be an epic battle. And now even the Yankees and Orioles are getting close after the Yankees were pretty far behind them just a matter of a couple of weeks ago. So this series is very important, very intense coming up. I do believe the Yankees could very well take two out of three. We'll see. But they come to town starting on Tuesday. That game will be at 7.05 Eastern. And Cole will be taking the mound to open it up. Wednesday, 7.05 Eastern again. Nestor is set to take the mound. And Thursday against them will be 7.05 again. Clark Schmidt is expected to take the hill that night. And then Friday for a three-game weekend set. I'm considering going to the game on Saturday. Probably, I don't know, probably not actually. Because I just, uh, we might have plans that day. But nonetheless... Regardless, three-game weekend set against the Padres, another international series. And it says here that Friday is actually an Apple TV Plus game, so I guess I'm not watching that night. I'm just listening on the radio. Whatever. So that game will be at 7.05. Saturday will be at 1.05 Eastern. And Sunday will be at 1.35 Eastern. And obviously, that is when we will talk again. So a hell of a last two weeks. Took a while to recap. So let us now finish the show with our social media segment as we always do put a nice bow on this episode so this week's social media segment after we are now finally caught up on everything yankees from these last two weeks i believe everything has been covered right (laughs) just about everything it's been a lot open-ended question for you this week pretty generic but i think it's pretty appropriate given how this team has turned around and the state they happen to find themselves in more of a positive positive time now So, the question is, how do you feel about this team right now, and where they're headed at this point in time? And I've basically just given my thoughts throughout the whole show, really. I do feel good about certain guys having come back and definitely played a part in rejuvenating this team, particularly guys like Judge and Bader. And Seve coming back is big for the rotation. You hope Stanton, who is commencing his rehab assignment, is back before long. That's another big piece of news. I'm so excited for Stanton to be on his way back. You guys all know how much I love him. He's got to stay on the field. <laughs> but, I mean, the offense is rejuvenated. They have a lot of fight in them. 
The starting pitching's getting by. The bullpen really powered through this tough stretch. I'm proud of them. And especially just the fight that this team showed, especially in the Blue Jays series, is a good example of it. Despite all the hate and and the adversity and just the challenges that they face, they've just been they've just been turning it around. And even in the games they lose, it's close and they show a lot of fight, and particularly in the Rays series. That game that I was at on Saturday was so freaking epic, man. So if they just keep fighting, just keep winning, keep winning series, even sweeping some like they just did to the Reds. Just keep on beating the bad ones when you have to also and win important games like the ones coming up against the Orioles. These are vital divisional games. Got to keep getting those wins. Keep getting guys back from injury and there's no reason why it shouldn't continue on the up and up because even when they were doing bad when everybody was down, I was saying, listen, somebody's going to have to step up until those guys come back. Otherwise, it's just going to keep continuing. But then you just hope things get better even when those guys do get back. And they manage to stay afloat during those injuries. Now that guys are coming back, they're turning it around. The team is showing fight. They're showing spirit. It's going well. And now if they win on Tuesday, they'll be 10 games over 500. When at one point, not too long ago, they were fighting just to stay at 500. So, and plus a lot of the moves they've made as well between the, the roster moves are hitting the right buttons with that. The Hicks move is honestly a huge W. Just... A lot of it's really good. Even Ben Rortvit freaking coming back from injury for the first time in like 15 months since the trade. 14, 15 months. And even he looked good in his first game. So that'd be nice if he could pick up the slack in Trevino's absence. So just a lot of good going on with the Yankees right now. A lot of good. So we like that. We like positive episodes, right? <laughs> so I guess those are my thoughts more or less. I imagine I'm going to see more or less the same things echoed throughout the comments. Let's see what you guys had to say. Let us start off with at Kurt Hun 719-25894 saying, we will be in first place by the All-Star break. Mark it. Wow. All right, that's bold. I like it. I do think the Rays have got to come back down to earth eventually. And they have a little bit, but um, especially as they start to play more talented teams. And again, I'm not crapping on them for them playing bad teams earlier on and taking advantage because, like I always say, I'd be a hypocrite if I said otherwise because I've always said this. You got to beat the bad ones too. Good teams beat bad teams. So, and you see that with a lot of teams that are supposed to be really good, but then they just play down bad teams and they lose games they shouldn't lose. So that's part of it too, guys. A lot of people play that down or just forget that. It's very important. But we do see that they have come back down to earth a little bit as they've started to play some better talent. And if that continues to come back down to earth a little bit, the Yankees continue on that uptrend, then good things should come of that, especially regarding the division. But certainly a bold prediction. I respect it. Up next is at Sean 9966-0764. A lot of numbers. My God, guys. Chop down on the numbers. <laughs> Saying, glad that Hicks is gone. No great loss. O's come to town for a series. Surprisingly, they're doing very well this year. How many games do you think we're going to take against them? Well, like I said before, I do think the Yankees could very well take two out of three. I would obviously love a sweep. I would love that. But I do want to give the O's credit because they are a solid team. So I'd be fine with two out of three. Winning series is really the key when you get down to it. Sweep if you can, of course. But winning series, that's all good as well. And Hicks being gone, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Definitely a sign of good things to come, especially with the organizational mindset. It just feels so surreal. Again, I still haven't processed it yet. My brother's friend called me up originally to tell me about it, and if he's listening to this part of the episode, he's probably laughing because I just kept on telling him, like, nah, you're, you're lying. You're a liar. Don't play with me. Don't toy with my heart. 
So, so Hicks is gone, definitely. Big thing. At Vinman23 says, I feel a lot better after seeing the Hicks news. Add that with how good Ben Rortvets looked. It has me thinking if they don't make the change this year, he could be the catcher for the next few years. I also like that if they don't like what they see from Donaldson, I know that they could cut him. Yeah, we know. We now know that that could very well be possible. That's exactly what I said earlier. It's exactly what I said. Despite the situations being different, but it actually plays more in favor of that because, yes, it would be more money to potentially eat, but they were willing to do that with a multi-year contract still remaining on the contract. It was more than one year left and a total of money that almost amounts to basically more or less around the same amount as Donaldson's one year in his final season this year. So, yeah, that that's exactly what I said, man. I wouldn't put that out of the realm of possibility anymore. At RMNY1976 says, DFA of Hicks represented a monumental change in the way the Yankees are doing business. For the first time in a while, I actually feel they're prioritizing putting the best possible product on the field. They need another left-handed bat, but I'm very encouraged by today's events. Absolutely. I, I, I can't disagree with anything there. Got to put your best foot forward and do what's best. And a move like DFAing Hicks, that's what that's like. I couldn't agree more. Up next is at NYY Sports Fan 96 saying, the team's getting better. <laughs> they certainly have been getting better. Rebecca at Peace Now for Life says, I love this team. I feel very confident. The offense is definitely clicking and will only get better when Stanton gets back. I'm excited to see how Sevy does and hopefully Rodon will be back. Keep getting healthy and roll. That's what I said. Looking forward. Keep getting guys back. It's only going to help. And stay healthy after that, please, for the love of God. But yeah, things have definitely been clicking, Rebecca. As I said, things have definitely been doing that. And getting Stanton back, you know I can't wait for that. Sevy looked solid today. Again, I know this question was posed yesterday, so a lot of people when answering this had not seen Sevy start in the past yet, of course. But Sevy looked solid today. Hopefully we get some more in-depth news on Rodon. We heard possibly end of June, most likely, but then we heard some beginning of July crap, so we'll see. He's been a question mark for a long time now, but him coming back could only mean good things, obviously. We'll see. But yeah, I'm feeling good like you are. That's exactly where I'm at right now. At Musician DMD, my buddy Spencer says, It's no coincidence that as key players return to the roster, the wins have been accumulating. It started with Bader, then Judge. Today, Severino will put depth in the rotation. Giancarlo's return will be a major factor. There's a lot of good New York Yankees baseball in the imminent future. Hell yeah, Spence. Hell yeah. It's always good to see guys coming back, especially after missing them for a long time. At Javien114 saying, I feel confident right now. Offense is definitely better. Yeah, as of the last week and a half or two, for sure. For sure. At Five Grand Slams Man says, I'll say I haven't felt this confident about the Yankees in a really long time. And yeah, it's feeling good right now. Isn't it crazy how much it could shift within two weeks? <laughs> I'm telling you, the ebbs and flows of a baseball season, man. That's how it goes. At Darren Grinter says, I'm excited, especially when Stanton comes back into the lineup. <laughs> Absolutely. As long as he stays healthy, and yeah, he's probably going to have a bit of an adjustment period upon first coming back, like he usually does when he first comes back from injury. But uh, once he gets back into the swing of things, pun intended, I guess you could say. Oh boy, watch out for those bombs. At K Swing 6 says, I like the fight they've shown. Think if they can get and keep everyone healthy, they will be tough to beat. 
You can only hope, especially when it really matters in the playoffs when the offense usually takes a dive against some of the league's best pitchers. You can only hope, but at least for the rest of the season, yeah, of course, absolutely. At Letitia22930913 says, With Seve coming back, Ben finally showing up, and Rodon and Stanton on the mend, feeling really good. Yeah. And other guys too, like Tommy Canely, finally commencing his rehab assignment. Who knows? I mean, if Canely comes back and is really good, that's a huge bullpen arm, man. That's huge. Hasn't pitched yet this year. That'd be awesome. At Marianne, 3379-3704 says, I love seeing how they're playing like a team. Hits up and down the lineup. Bullpen guys doing well. Yeah, the bullpen's been a big part of the team to start the year. They've had their nights, of course. And uh, obviously Clay Holmes in particular has had his nights already where he's made us rip our hair out. But overall, on the whole, the bullpen's been a strength, as they often are for the Yankees. But they really have been. At Crusaders, BBNY says, are we moving in the right direction, and can we make a run at the division when we get Stanton, Rodon, Seve, and Donaldson back? Well, particularly with Stanton, Rodon, and Seve, especially with Seve already being back and looking the way he does. Rodon, you just hope he looks he looks good when and if he gets back, because he's just a big question mark. And Stanton, even if he does take a bit of time to readjust, if the rest of the lineup keeps hitting like this, then you can bear that. And then when Stanton is good, he'll just add to it. <laughs> You know that. At Laura underscore Icemont, my friend Laura says, I feel good about the team's position right now. They seem to be clicking in most areas. DFAing Hicks was something I didn't expect the team to do, but I'm glad it's done because Hicks was not cutting it. I'm excited to see where this team goes. Yeah, it's a sign of just things going in the right direction. It really is. And again, it's ironic that it happens when he actually started to hit a bit, but you know what? It was overdue. Had to happen. Up next is at Sean Shalinsky says they are the hottest team in baseball. They look great overall, and they are scoring runs. That's right, particularly in the month of May, hottest team. That is for sure. All right, let us finish up with the final two. I said it wouldn't be two hours. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Listen, two weeks. Didn't say anything, so had a lot to talk about. God, no surprise at all. First up of the final two, as per usual, my girlfriend at Vic Salimo says, After today, I'm feeling more confident. Judge is back, Hicks is DFA'd, and offense has been fighting through. Hell, even IKF has been performing well. When Stanton comes back, I believe we'll have a more solid offense, even more solid offense. The bullpen just needs to tighten themselves up at times. You know, the bullpen's been a strength, you know, but uh, of course they're going to have their nights, obviously, but yeah. Hicks DFAing is huge. Judge, he was just freaking Superman like he always is. He believed those people acting like Judge needs to cheat to get by. Oh my God, did you? Are you? Do you forget what this man is capable of? Come on. And he couldn't have reminded people better than the way he did after the fact. My God, he's been making a fool of everybody since then, especially Toronto immediately after that for the rest of the series. Just great. Judge needs to cheat. That's funny. That is funny. Alrighty. Last but not least is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero, after Mother's Day and her birthday riding high, (laughs) says, I have to say happily, I feel much better now about how the team and their manager are performing in comparison to how they were two weeks ago. Maybe Boone came to realize his bad decisions and woke up briefly. Hopefully it lasts a while. (laughs) 
Love how Judge continues to do. Love that they finally DFA'd Hicks. And with Donaldson not back yet, the team has been like a dream. <laughs> team is doing better without dead bats. Happy to see the front office making some good choices for the team. It's all true, Mom. Can't argue with any of that. I can't. Boone's been better lately. Judge is judge. Hicks gone. Donaldson not back yet, and you have to feel like he doesn't really have much of a place in the team at the moment, especially right now. And with him not being here, Hicks is no longer here. Dead bats, not a part of it. Look what's going on. We talked about it all offseason. So, yeah, the front office, got to give them their kudos. Didn't think they would do it, especially not now with Hicks. I thought they were just going to ride with him until the end of freaking time. Got to give them their kudos when, when they arise. Got to give them their Ws. As always, guys, though, that is all for the social media replies. That's all I can get to. There were some I couldn't get to as per usual, but you guys know how much I love you guys and how much I appreciate you guys interacting with the show each and every week. You guys are the absolute best. And thank you for bearing with me for yet another couple of hours here on episode 182. What can I say? You guys definitely are troopers, or you just love me that much, and I love you that much too, trust me. But as for now, guys, nonetheless, that is all for episode 182 of Yapping Yankees today. Please remember to follow me on all socials if you do not already, Mike Scudero NY on Facebook, on Twitter, at Mike Scudero, and Instagram is MikeScuds97. Please do not forget to subscribe to Yapping Yankees as well on all four of the platforms it is available on. That is YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Show your love on all four of them as you always do such a great job at doing, guys. And if you have the time, if you've missed any past Yapping Yankees episodes, you definitely had a lot of time these past two weeks, but if you still haven't caught up and listened to some episodes you want to hear, well, episodes 34 all the way up to 182 today are available on YouTube. And every single episode, going back to episode one four years ago, all the way up to 182 today, well, all of those are available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Once again, thank you 3,000 for listening to me yap today. As always, my friends, I have been your host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, May 28th, when I come at you with episode 183 of Yapping Yankees. But until then, guys, you know the deal. Hang in there. Be patient. Stay safe. Look out for your loved ones. Go ahead and kick life's ass this week, my good people. And let's keep on hoping the Yankees keep it rolling with Judge, Bader, Seve being back. Some more names on their ways back, as we know. Keep it going. Let's take it to the O's and gain even more ground in that dominant division of the American League East and continue our climb to the top. Keep making good decisions and actually have the opportunity to enjoy a day off tomorrow. I'm certain the Yankees will because they have played a lot of games in a row. And we can all rest our minds for a night, be at peace, not having to worry about our beloved team winning or losing another game. (laughs) And the Yankees can refresh themselves and prepare themselves for what should be an awesome series against the Orioles here in New York, in the Bronx, at Yankee Stadium. Followed by a series against the Padres, and then followed by yet another Yapping Yankees episode next Sunday, which I will talk to you then, my friends. Take care, and let's go Yanks. (laughs) 